Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Corbell Starks, aka Who That Nigga, and welcome to the world according to Starks. It's seven forty-three p.m., and as you know, it's the first of December, Wednesday, December of two thousand twenty-one. And I just want to let everybody know, straight up and down, it got to the point of no return when it comes to I was supposed to have an episode first thing like Friday and Saturday, but unfortunately, I have been too busy going through, you know, some time off, you know, I was doing one on Thanksgiving, and to be quite honest, like, I decided to drop this special one for you folks out there, so, let's get on to it, ladies and gentlemen, and we're gonna start off with a little Candace Parker, who talks candidly about Gino Oriyama, the head coach for the University of Connecticut, home of the Huskies, and the title stated, Candace Parker talks candidly about Gino Oriyama, we don't like each other. Candace Parker and Gino Ariyama doesn't have the coziest of relationships. The women's basketball titans got to know each other as on-court rivals. Parker started at the Tennessee from 2005 to 2008, where she led the Lady Volunteers to a pair of national titles championships that Ariyama's rival Connecticut Huskies didn't win. In 2016, Parker was a two-time NBA MVP and a three-time All-Star, she didn't make Ariyama's roster for the Rio Olympics despite being healthy and one of the USA's best performers leading up to the Games. She's vowed, she since vowed to never play again for USA basketball and didn't try out to play in the 2020 Tokyo Games. On Tuesday, she spoke with Turner Sports' Taylor Rooks on her feelings about Ariyama and the USA basketball, and she didn't hold back. Candace Parker, I don't think Gino, Gino wanted me on the team. I don't have one, Parker said. When asked about her relationship with the USA basketball, she was even more candid about Ariyama when asked why she thought she was left off the team. He doesn't like me. I don't like him, Parker said. We don't like each other. Parker then explained that she believes Ariyama wasted her time away from her family and effort on the court. Just tell me and I don't want to waste my time, Parker said, of being left off the team. I went to a camp. I got a triple double at the camp. Was I think was I think first or second in scoring? It wasn't on the court. So it's if it's me as an individual, as a person, I'm spending time away from my daughter to come to do these camps that I'm not even being judged off of how I'm playing. I don't think I've personally fit. I don't think Gino wanted me on the team. Parker remains upset about Ninke Okawimi snub. Parker then reinstated retaliated her anger for 2016 MVP WNBA and six-time All-Star Ninke Okawimi being left off the roster in Tokyo. Parker was one of the most vocal critics of the decision over the summer as a USA Basketball Selection Committee that included Ariyama chose five former UConn players, but not Okawimi. South Carolina head coach Don Staley took over for Ariyama's head coach, while Carol Collins serves as the national team director. I get more angry at the people that I love getting hurt, Parker continued, and what they did to Nika was unbelievable. Respect to Connecticut, Connecticut continues to crank out player of the year after player of the year at the same time. When I was there, my four years at Tennessee, they didn't win no national championships. They never beat us. I didn't know that might be a soft spot. I didn't know. Ariana responded to the roster criticism this summer prior to the USA basketball winning gold in Tokyo. 
What I find humorous was the two times I was the coach, it was UConn politics. UConn biased because of Gino Oriyama. He told reporters in July per CT Insider, Carol made a point to say no. There's a there's a committee that picked the team. Now I'm not the coach, and Gino Ariyama is still the still the shit, and I'm on the committee. So I think there's a common thread here. What I think a lot of people don't realize is once you start putting a team together and you have certain picks, you can't just put them all out there individually, and pick them out of thin air. Once you put these four people on the team. You better compliment them with the right other people. Parker clearly isn't satisfied with that explanation. Now, I've seen the UConn women's basketball team and how they, you know, play basketball. But never in my life I've seen a coach that, you know, would be well-hated like this guy is. And Candace Parker said it herself that they don't like, we don't like each other. And I understand that. I mean, more importantly, you don't have to like anybody, but you did win some championships and you won a WNBA championship and still you're not well liked. Well, Candace Parker, all I can say is just keep fighting, keep moving, keep killing, keep drilling, keep doing what you do. Don't worry about what other people think of you because frankly, that's just the way it is sometimes and you got to get through it and you got to deal with it. Patty LaBelle confessed about the time she wanted to pimp slap Diana Ross. Ooh, don't we all want to pimp slap Diana Ross? Patty LaBelle and Diana Ross are two of the greatest to have ever done it. They might have also set a record for being two of the most greatest icons to have one of the longest running feuds in history of soul music. It's good thing entertainers had major class back in the day, though, because based on Patty's recollection on her beef with Diana, this could have easily turned into a stiletto shoe-throwing, weave-pulling, diva fist fight had it been some today's entertainers. Nevertheless, there was a time when Patty wanted to bitch-slap the boss, Miss Ross. Nope, we're not exaggerating whatsoever. Bitch-slap were Miss Patty's exact words. That heifer copied our style. In a video interview below, Patty hilariously revealed what caused the four decades long tension between she and Diana. According to Patty, they, when they were toured together back in the day, Diana used to try to make Patty and her fellow LaBelle group members look bad in front of their fans. Ooh, that's terrifying. Patty also gave a slightly different version of the story to Oprah at the time, but her claims of Diana copying LaBelle's style still remained unchanged. Oprah, why do we have to mention her, this fucking cunt's name, um, blank, home wasn't the first time Patty and Diana were forced to be together. There were others, such as the one during an award ceremony and a video up top, Damn, they sure did play that off well because we, the fans, had no clue they didn't say two words to each other afterwards. On the flip side, Diana has a story history of beefs with several soul singers and other old school celebs. <coughs> Gladys Knight, some of the uh, Wiz actors, Barry Gordy, Marvin Gaye, etc. But the question is, was Diana just super petty or she just did get a bad rap for being super competitive? Whatever the reason, we're glad that this is all behind Patty and Diana now. And, oh, well, that ends well. Let me just say it like this. I am a fan of Patty LaBelle first, and I've always been a fan of Patty LaBelle. Even her music gives me chills in my spinal area. 
But more importantly, I've never been a fan of Diana Ross's music. And this is coming from me. I'm just telling you straight up and down. By far the worst moment in history to ever listen to a Patti LaBelle song. And I just want to take a shit and just realize, like, it makes no sense to me to ever kiss Patti, kiss, kiss Diana Ross's ass. Because I'm not doing that. For some strange reason, I've always loved Patti LaBelle's music. That's all I can tell you. And as far as Diana Ross being petty, being a diva, treating people like shit, you reap what you sow. Especially when you listen to what Paul Mooney used to say about Diana Ross and Tracy Ellis Ross crying like a little bitch about the joke. It's just a joke, Tracy Ellis Ross. Wake the fuck up. Okay. Now, for other news... YK Osiris flexes cash at Dior store in Toronto following Lil Baby debt. The singer is in full money ain't a thing mode. Much has been said about YK Cyrus and his blank account in blank account in recent months. The young star loves to flex his riches on social media and he never disappoints when flashing those luxury goods. His celebrity life has afforded him, yet we reported on Lil Baby's lighthearted confrontation days when he asked Osiris about paying up on a debt that has been outstanding since early this year. It seems that the quality control rapper was looking to tie up a few loose ends before closing out 2021. And while YK Osiris laughed off the exchange, he became a target on social media. A very big target, to be exact. Soon the public began cracking jokes at the R&B singer's expense, and even Chad Ochocinco called them out. Osiris previously bragged about spending $325,000 on a pair of earrings, and Ochocinco tweeted that he purchased a similar pair of Claire's for $10. Meanwhile, Osiris has done his best at smiling through the trolling, and he returned once again to show that his wallet stays stacked. YK Osiris put his finances back at center stage this week when he showed that he was once again in Toronto, this time spending his hard-earned cash at Dior. He previously uploaded a photo of the money he owed little baby, so it looks as if that it has been settled. But there were rumors that were there might have been an outstanding debt with Boozy Badass over TikTok challenge bet. Check out YK Osiris's video below. Now, I've never heard of YK Osiris, but I know he's probably owing a lot of people money. And I never heard his music, and I'm not going to because apparently I don't want to. Because rappers today lie about how much money they be having. And sometimes these rappers today just be lying, period, about how much money they got. The jewelry, the fur coat, the shoes and shit performing on stage, showing their fans how much they're living that luxury, lavish life. Here's the thing you should be doing. Pay your fucking bills, your car notes and shit like that. Maybe you don't have to get your ass kicked every now and then. Because if that was me, I'd be owing motherfuckers before they start trolling me. Plain and simple. Juicy J says drugs were behind the 3-6 Mafia breakup. Juicy J chatted with Nas and Miss Info for Spotify's The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop Podcast. During the conversation, Juicy J opened up about why he thought drugs were the source of 3-6 Mafia ultimately spilling. According to Juicy J, drugs really broke 3-6 Mafia up, adding the members of the group recreationally used some of the wildest drugs, from heroin to meth to cocaine, all kinds of pills. Juicy continued a lot of drugs 
we were consumed during the times we were together. When everybody was sober and shit, everybody's on the same page. But when cocaine's involved, things change. But I'm not pointing a figure figure at anybody and nobody. He admitted he can't think of nothing else that would have caused a breakup or why people wasn't showing up in the studio. Business was crazy. Everything's folding. It was the drugs. It had to be the drugs for some reason because, number one, when you're a musician, a rap artist, a hip-hop artist, or somebody from you know the R&B stage, this is by far the worst moment of your life. You do not do drugs. Your fans will probably tell you that you need to go to rehab. You don't want to go to rehab. And more importantly, if you do go to rehab, you're clean, but you're not the same. And then when you're not the same, this is the shit that gets on people's minds and nerves at the same time. I say this every time because... I'm a hip-hop artist myself, and apparently, for some reason, I do not do drugs. I smoke a black amount every now and then. I smoke a little bit of weed. More importantly, I just get the writing. But then again, I, of all people, do not want, and I do not want to be the reason. I don't want drugs to be the reason why you, of all people, hate me for taking drugs. That's not who I am, and that's not what I do. But as far as 3-6 Mafia, I noticed that... uh the one song that really, well, two songs from 3-6 Mafia, Stay Fly and, more importantly, Pop of My Collar, were the only two songs I ever listened to. And I probably rapped off of them a little bit. But as far as I'm concerned, like, you know, I hope everything is okay with 3-6 Mafia, DJ Paul, Crunchy Black, uh, Juicy J. Hope they can get their shit together and they can stop doing drugs and making some real music, for God's sakes. Because that's exactly what I need y'all to do. <clears throat> man charged with trying to lure 12-year-old girl into his car in Brooklyn. A Queens man has been accused of ch- trying to lure a preteen girl into his car as she walked home from school in Brooklyn, cops said Tuesday. A 12-year-old victim was near the intersection of Essex Street and Dumont Ave in East New York. About 2.25 p.m. Monday, when she was confronted by Verlin Thomas, who's 36 years old, who was sitting in his vehicle, police said. He offered her a free ride home, did order her to get into my car, as he pleasured himself in front of her, cops said. The girl ran off, and a call to 911 brought police to the scene. Cops tracked the man's car using surveillance, cameras, and license plates readers. Police said on Tuesday they arrested Thomas, who lives in Lindenwood, about a mile and a half away from the Brooklyn scene. Police charged him with luring a child. He was awaiting arrangement in Brooklyn courts. You see, this is what we need more often to do. We need to understand this straight up and down. Sick motherfuckers like this, of all people, luring 12-year-old girls into his car so he can get off. And in case you haven't noticed, and I probably said his name only one time, Verlin Thomas, you should be ashamed of yourself. I hope when you get locked up in prison with the rest of the sexual deviants, you get your ass destroyed and stabbed many times because that right there is a very shitty little move on your part. And I hope you burn in hell for that one. In other news, Crunchy Black responds to Soldier Boy disrespecting Young Dolph. Says the soldier, shut the fuck up. Now I've 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 told I'd said this before. This is very disrespectful on anybody's part, and I do, and I do hate Soldier Boy for some reason. Crunchy Black has responded to Soldier Boy for making disrespectful comments about Young Dolph before tra- 
for Dolph's tragic earlier death this month. In a video interview with Cam Capone News, which was published on YouTube on Saturday, November 27th, Black, a former member of the 3-6 Mafia, blasted Big Draco for disrespecting the late Memphis legend. He, the f first one to suck dick, Crunchy Black said, about Soldier before everybody sucked dick, Soldier Boy did it. He was the first one nationwide, the first dick sucker, he added while laughing uncontrollably. Country Black continued insulting the Atlanta rapper. Fuck Soldier Boy, he said. Fuck Soldier Boy. He ain't talking about nothing. Tell him to go make another video game and call it. I'm the first one to suck dick. Fuck boy. Suck, fuck Soldier Boy. I don't want to talk about Soldier Boy. Country Black's crude remarks about Soldier Boy are in response to Draco's ill-timed beef with Young Dolph. Roughly a week before Dolph's passing on November 17th, it all started when Soldier saw Dolph's post on an Instagram blog early this month about the paper route empire boss being an independent artist. Soldier said that's a lie. That's big cat, SB wrote. In the comments section, they signed at Empire, I'm really 100% independent, no cap. After Dolph's death, Soldier doubled down on his comments and claimed that if, he, if the shoe was on the other foot, people would be happy if Soldier was dead. Let it, let it would be have me. Let it would have been me. Soldier, you need to get your fucking sentences right because, frankly, this is bullshit. It would have been a whole bunch of ha-ha, Soldier Boy should have kept his mouth shut. He then added niggas would have been laughing like a motherfucker. Soldier Boy thought he was tough. And Soldier Boy is not tough. He's just a punk-ass bitch that doesn't know any better. Nevertheless, Soldier refused to offer any condolences for young Dolph, claiming members of Pre's team were in his DMs threatening him just before days just days before Dolph's death. Soldier Boy can now add Crunchy Black to the list of people Soldier probably won't do a feature with, along with Lil Yachty and Stunner for Vegas. As you already know that I told you this before, ladies and gentlemen, that dear old Soldier Boy need to keep his fucking mouth shut. Because apparently, for some reason, he just keeps talking and talking and talking and talking. And frankly, it's really bad for business. And it's really, really fucking disturbing for somebody to disrespect a late rapper in memphis dead because all of a sudden you have beef with him could you do yourself a favor and uh shut the fuck up soldier and show some condolences please thank you you ethiopian cunt uh. and last one ladies and gentlemen Wife of drug kingpin El Chapo sentenced to three years in prison. The wife of Mexican kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman was sentenced to Tuesday to three years in prison after pleading guilty to helping her husband run his billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar criminal empire. Emma Coronel Aspiro also helped her husband plan a dramatic escape through a tunnel dug underneath a prison in Mexico in 2015 by smuggling a GPS watch to him, disguised as a food item. Prosecutors said during a hearing in federal court in Washington that helped those digging the tunnel pinpoint his location and reach him, he was recaptured the following year. Prosecutors had asked for four years in prison, but U.S. District Judge Randolph Contreras imposed a shorter term, saying her role was a small piece of a much larger organization. Defense attorneys also pointed out she was 17 when she met Guzman and married him on her 18th birthday. 
This began when she was very impressionable minor, married to a powerful man, more than three decades older. Jeffrey Lichman said, Colonel Coronel Aspiro expressed true regret for any and all harm as she spoke through a Spanish translation in court. I am here before you asking for forgiveness. She said she asked for a sentence that would allow her to watch her nine-year-old twin daughters grow up. She previously pleaded guilty to three federal offenses as part of a plea deal with the federal prosecutors. She also surrendered $1.5 million. The charges include knowingly and willfully conspiring to distribute heroin, cocaine, marijuana, and methamphetamines for several years. She also pleaded guilty to a money laundering conspiracy charge and to engage in the transactions with a foreign narcotics trafficker. She helped Guzman get messages to his subordinates while he was in prison, which allowed him to stay in control of the Sanolia cartel while behind bars. He chose to move her he chose her to move those messages to people who worked for him, said Prosecutor Anthony Nardozzi. The 32-year-old was arrested in February at Dulles International Airport in Virginia and has been jailed since then. Guzman was sentenced to life in prison in 2019. I knew that, more importantly, people would probably say something about, you know, El Chapo will always be a legend out there. But behind bars, for some strange reason, when it comes down to it, his wife probably did the right thing. But more importantly, she was married at a very young age to El Chapo. And she was on her 18th birthday, nonetheless. And usually when I think about it in some ways, I do believe that El Chapo getting life in prison this was not Trump's idea. Yeah, Trump talking about, oh, we caught him. We got him. No, you didn't. You didn't do shit. You just sat there on your fat white ass and did absolutely nothing. But she's serving three years. Her husband's got life in prison. So more importantly, the icons that we like and we respected are in jail. Meanwhile, the icons and so-called people of all people, oh, well, they're still alive. And more importantly, it's a disgrace. But anyway, I'm Corbello Starks, a.k.a. Who That Nigga. This is The World According to Starks, the podcast of all podcasts. And I want to thank everybody that gave me the opportunity to speak my mind. I will be back on Friday. I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to have to drink some Pepsi because, unfortunately, I can't drink alcohol. I hope you're going to have a very good holidays. I know some people finished their you know, Christmas shopping because they didn't want to do it in traffic and shit. But... I just want to say goodnight to everybody, and I will be back Friday and Saturday. So sit back, relax, smoke a blunt, and have a good night.